Well, the message this morning is really going to touch on two areas of people based on where you're at in your own journey with God. Uh, this morning, I want to talk to those of you who are not yet Christians. You're not yet a follower of Jesus. You come to church, and maybe you even read your Bible, and you've made some improvements with God's help in your life spiritually, but you're not yet a Christian. And there may be some reasons why you have not yet decided to become a Christian, and I want to uh, talk about that for just a moment. However, it is not a talk just for Christians, uh, just for uh, those who are not yet Christians. It is also uh, a message for those of you who are followers of Jesus, and you just go through some challenges from time to time. And, and when you do, maybe you're prone to ask, especially the more difficult that it is, the more you're prone to ask, like, what's up, God? What's, what's going on? And, and some fears and some doubts can begin to seep into your life a little bit. And, and I want to speak to both of you groups this morning. I, I believe that God will help us, and I pray that if all of us will listen, that there's going to be something that's going to resonate with us this morning. And here's the reality. Not every part of the message is for everybody, but this is what I know. There is something that is in this message that is for every one of you. And if you will listen, you will hear God speak to you about a spectrum of your life where you are at and what God wants you to know about through his word. So I'm very excited about this talk. And I think we all have reached times in our life when we've, we've asked the questions, well, you know, what do I really believe? You know, what is true? What is reliable? Um, maybe if you've had some doubts in your life, you've even wondered, is God disappointed with you because you've had some doubts? And I want to talk about doubt today. And that doesn't often happen in, in churches because it's like we're concerned or we don't really get, want to get into the subject matter of doubt. But you can't read the Bible without noticing that there were some people who from time to time, one that you're going to see toward the latter half uh, of this talk that, that really was so prominent um, in the time and life and circumstances around Jesus, and yet you see him, you know, raising some, some concerns, some doubts, really, that he had in his life. So I, I trust that you're going to listen. How do we properly deal with our doubts? And I think it's possible, I really do, for all of us to be able to find a healthy balance between this authentic mental journey that we all ought to be on, which is really asking some good questions, asking legitimate questions. And I think that is completely different, really, when you compare that to what the Bible describes in James 1.6. It says in this case, which is opposite from what I just mentioned formally, but in this case, it says a person who has doubts is like a wave that is blown by the wind and tossed by the sea. And so there are some you know, some questions, some doubts that we'll have from time to time. And then there are some doubts that people have just simply because they don't want to even be believe what is fundamentally true. And we need to talk about that. So I'm going to do that on sort of the front edge of this message. And then toward the back half, I'm going to take you to five verses in the New Testament. And I'm going to need you uh, for the next few moments to give me some of your very best thinking. Now, what does that mean? That means whatever would try to preoccupy your mind right now, that you just push it aside. I know that there's so many of you, with this being Sunday morning, that you are so excited about getting up and going to work in the morning, you're already thinking about the joy of that. 
And I'm going to ask you to just push that to the side. Some of you are thinking about, you know, what's going on in your life or what you're going to do after church today or, you know, something that's going to happen uh, this week. But whatever the case, I'm going to ask you to just push all of that aside for about the next 32 minutes. And and I just want to talk to you right out of my heart about some things that I think are going to be helpful. I'm going to ask you to be, as my kindergarten teacher said about me, I'm going to ask you to be really alert, really alert. Uh, Most of you have heard by now when I was in kindergarten uh, that I took my very first report card home and I was so excited. I had remarkably so some really good grades. And then how many of you know back then, it may still be true, there were your grades and then there were some handwritten teacher's comments. So I had some handwritten comments to take to my mom and dad. I had good grades. I was thankful for that in kindergarten, but I couldn't help it. I wanted to see the teacher's comments. And so I opened it up before I even gave it to my parents. And this, and this has been a long time ago, but I remember exactly what she wrote. She wrote, Jeff is very alert. Now, the problem for me is I thought alert, L-E-R-T, was a bird. I don't know where I got that, but I thought she was saying, Jeff is a bird. I was emotionally crushed. I was crying when I handed my report card over. And my parents helped settle me down. No, Jeff, you're not a, you're not a bird. You're a real boy. And uh, you just pay attention. And so I'm going to ask you to pay attention. And I want to begin, as we talk about doubt, remember, we're going to come to some verses, five verses in just a few moments. But what I want to do is I want to begin by talking to you about some various doubts, three that I'll mention. Let's begin with philosophical doubt, philosophical doubt. And philosophical doubt can actually be divided into two separate categories. And I'll give those to you. And and just listen, you're not going to be able to write this quick, but let me just give them to you. Philosophical doubt can actually be divided into definitive doubt and what would be called provisional doubt. And, And let me give you the differences here. Definitive doubt. This is what definitive doubt looks like. Uh, it may actually be called, here's another word that you could insert for it. It may actually be called skeptical doubt. Uh, it has no answer to a question. Uh, the mentality is there is no logical answer to the question or questions. And no matter how diligently I search, there's no real answer that is going to be found to the questions that I'm asking. That is definitive or skeptical doubt. Now, again, this is all under philosophical doubt. Let's take the other side of that, and that is the provisional doubt. Now, in provisional doubt, this is how it appears. It has legitimate questions, but is on a genuine search to find some answers. Like, like I've got some questions, and I know that there's got to be some answer to some of these questions that I have dancing around in my mind, and and I'm going to search till I find them out. I need to reach, uh, this mentality is I need to reach a conclusion on this. I need to have these thoughts and questions satisfied. There are doubts, but they are coupled with a willingness to learn. It's like I've got them, but I'm willing to learn. I'm open. I'm hoping that God is going to show me. I want God to reveal to me the answers to my questions. And some of you, by the way, especially those of you that are like spiritual seekers, or maybe you're even skeptics, and I don't mean that in a derogatory fashion, 
situation. You're like, you know, maybe you've had some negative experiences in your life, maybe some things that have occurred, maybe some people that have disappointed you that call themselves a Christian that you're like, if that's what a Christian really is, then I don't want to be a Christian. So you got all of that bouncing around in your head and you're like, you know, I'm, I'm searching, but I'm skeptical. What is true? What is real? What is valid? What is legitimate? What can I actually believe? Then there is, in addition to what I just mentioned, and again, I told you you'd have to really stay dialed in, in addition to this philosophical doubt, I want to give you a second doubt, and it might be called doubt. It has been labeled by many this, in this expression, doubt equivalent to denial. Doubt equivalent to denial. And I want to try to describe this one to you, all right? In this one, a doubt equivalent to denial, a person has questions, but they're not really eager to discover the answers. They're like, hey, I've got these questions, but I don't really want to know. Because if I know, it may engage me at some point that I really don't want to be engaged. They're not in learning mode. They're not in discovery mode. One writer actually describes this kind of doubt is a doubt that has veiled, listen to this, veiled assertions of denial. Doubt equivalent to denial. I've got questions, but I don't really want the answer. Now, that's different from the former one that I mentioned to you with philosophical doubt, especially uh, that provisional side of it. So a person has questions, but they don't really want to know the answers. In fact, this person who has doubts in this way may actually, listen now, have clear evidence to believe, but they choose not to embrace what the evidence is. And I want to just show you, the guys are going to put it up on the screen. I'm going to show you a couple of examples of this from the Bible. The first one is just after Jesus' resurrection from the dead. This is Matthew 28, 17. And I know I'm giving you a lot of foundation right now, some things to think about, but then we're going to make this incredibly applicable. So just hang in here with me. This first one, uh, again, is, is in Matthew 28, 17. And look at it here with me. And this is after Jesus' resurrection, as I mentioned. It said, when they saw Jesus, they worshipped him. A lot of people worshipped him. But then some of them, what? Doubted. Some of them doubted. It was like the evidence that was before them. It was undeniable. It was plain to see. You could not discount it. You could not dismiss it. But they still chose not to believe. Some worshiped him. Jesus, you are who you proclaim to be. You are the risen son of God. But then others just said, you know what? I'm still not going to believe. Look at this next one, John 12, 37. Look at this one on the screen. Even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, they still would not believe. This is doubt equivalent to denial. I have the evidence. It is substantiated. It is here. You know, if I really want to believe, there's enough here for me to believe. But the reality is, I don't really want to believe. I, I would, I'm more comfortable uh, not accepting this because it may mean that some part of my life is going to have to change. Now, in a great book, you may want to pick this up sometime. It's titled Faith and Doubt. The author of this book writes this. God seems to present himself to us in such a way that a person who wants to dismiss God will be able to dismiss him. If that's what they want to do, they'll be able to do that. They'll find a way. He seems, God does, to leave them space for them to be able to do that. People who do not want there to be a God will find a way to believe that there is no God. And then this writer quotes Blaise Pascal, who said that there is enough light 
for those who want to see, and yet there is enough darkness for those of a different persuasion, those who do not want to see. So a couple of forms of doubt. Let me give you, let me give you one more. The first form of doubt that I mentioned to you already is philosophical doubt, and it's divided into two categories, definitive and provisional doubt. Then there is doubt equivalent to denial. And then if we're just sort of tagging doubt, let me give you a third one before we move on. And this third one, and I'll just quickly mention it, it is ignorant doubt, ignorant doubt. Now, that is not meant to be offensive. It's just sort of the way that it's titled. It does not mean it crudely or negatively, but it's just labeled ignorant doubt. Now, how is this form of doubt different from the previous two? Let me, let me take a moment and explain that. This particular doubt or the person who has this kind of doubt, they too have enough evidence to believe but still have some doubts because they don't have all the answers. So I've got the evidence and what I see here, but I'm not willing to really believe everything here because I don't have all the answers yet. Now, how are they, people in this, categorically speaking, in this form of doubt, how are they responding to viable evidence? They're not rejecting it. They're not saying, as, as the other one that we mentioned, the second one that we mentioned, doubt equivalent to denial. They're not saying, I've got the evidence, I'm just not going to believe. In this case, it's different. They are not rejecting it, they just want more evidence. And sometimes a person that is in this sort of uh, sphere of life, uh, they feel this way. I- I'm looking for something, but I can't really explain to you exactly what I'm looking for. And, and that resonates, I know, with some of you that are here today because you've got questions and, and maybe you had some background uh, in church before or, or you knew some Christians and, and something for whatever reason just went, it just went wrong. And now you're like, I, I don't really know what I believe. I do believe this, but I don't know how far I'm willing to go spiritually until I have all of my questions answered. Now, I want to go back to that time just after Jesus rose from the dead. Now, many people are proclaiming that this has occurred, but what is amazing, and I've referenced this verse before. You're going to be familiar with it. It's not going to be on the screen. I'm just going to read it. But what is amazing, one of Jesus' closest followers is having some serious doubt about this. It's like, you know, he's hung out with Jesus, but he's hearing about it, and he's got relationships with people that have seen evidence of a risen Christ, but he's not buying into it. You know, he's, he's not willing to just accept it carte blanche without having some further evidence. Now, listen carefully. Uh, John 20, 27 says, Then Jesus said to Thomas, one of his followers, one of the twelve, Put your finger here and look at my hands. Then reach out your hand and put it into my side. And then he says to Thomas, he's like, I know you needed more evidence. And so, Thomas, here I, I want you to see. And then he says to him, Stop your doubting, Thomas and believe. So I know that you've heard it. You've been unwilling to believe it, but now I reveal myself to you in such a way that it is undeniable. So Thomas, I'm not, I'm not done with you. I'm not finished with you. I'm not angry. I'm not pushing you out of my family, but, but here's the evidence. And Thomas, stop doubting, and now I want you to believe. So that's sort of the, the framework. That's sort of the the, the foundation of what I want to deal with next, because I mentioned that I want to take you, and this is where it's going to be more practical and more applicable for you. So you have already what we've mentioned in your head, and now what I want to do is I want to take you to Matthew chapter 11, and uh, five verses is what we're going to look at, and, and then I'm going to breathe th- three things out of here before we're done, all right? Look at Matthew 11. 
It said, after Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, now this, this is not the apostle John, this is John the Baptist. When John heard in prison, uh, John is in prison now, no crimes that he's committed. It's a long story. I'll get into it uh, sometime in the future. But when John heard in prison what Christ was doing, what Jesus was doing, he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Time out right here. Anybody see any doubt showing up? You see any doubt? I mean, really, you know, are you the one? Are you the one or should we, you know, are you the Messiah or are you not the Messiah? If you're not the Messiah, tell us so that we can look forward to who the Messiah may actually be. Now, this is amazing, amazing, and I'm going to tell you why in just a moment. Now, how does Jesus reply to this? If we're going to touch on this, Jesus replied, go back. He sends this messenger back to John the Baptist. Go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. Let John know the blind receive sight. Tell John that the lame walk. Let him know that those who have leprosy are cured. Tell him the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news of the gospel is preached to the poor. You go back, and that's all you've got to say to John. Now, in these five verses, and I took you very intentionally here to Matthew 11 because it answers a lot of things that maybe will course through our mind from time to time. In these five verses, we find quite a lot that we can learn concerning doubt. And I want to give you three statements here before we're done, all right? Statement number one, here it is. Sometimes it is in the challenging seasons of life that we have our greatest doubts. Sometimes it is in the challenging seasons of our life that we will have the most doubts, or it will cause us to doubt. In verse 2, the A part, the first part of that verse, we find a very important phrase. It does not just say John the Baptist. It does not just say John. It said, when John heard while he's in prison. Now, this totally changes everything. This totally changes everything for John. Now, what is it that we actually know? And I'll just hit on this quickly. What do we actually know about John the Baptist from the Bible? Well, we know several things about him. We know that he was a very colorful personality. I mean, he wore some pretty funky clothes. He ate some food that was just weird, to be honest with you. And he certainly, this is a guy that loved the great outdoors. Nothing wrong with that. But he's, he's just, we know that. He's, he's got a unique personality. However, this is what we also know about John the Baptist. And this is important to keep in mind. He was a man of deep conviction and great courage. That's who John the Baptist is. Deep conviction and great courage. He's been called. Think about this now. There's a lot of prophets that are mentioned, minor prophets, major prophets. But John the Baptist, and this really comes into play here because now he's like, what's up? Here I am in prison. Jesus, are you really who you claim to be? Are you really the Messiah? Do we believe in you or do we wait for another? Now, now keep in mind that it is said in the Bible in regards to John that he is the greatest of all prophets. So he's not just like, uh, you know, incidental prophet. He is known in the Bible as the greatest of all prophets. Furthermore, and this is critically important, he among all people was chosen as the one person who would be the forerunner of Jesus, who would go ahead of Jesus and would announce on Jesus' behalf, this is the Son of God, this is the Lamb of God, this is the Messiah, this is the one, this is the Christ, the anointed one, 
the one that we've been waiting for. And John the Baptist would go before Jesus and he would be the proclaimer of that reality. But now everything is different. Why is everything different? Because he's going through a tough, tough time. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever found yourself just spiritually on top of the world and you just found it easy to believe and easy to worship and easy to serve and easy to pray and easy to read your Bible and easy to grow in your walk and relationship with God, but then you go through a season of enormous challenge and it's like, oh man, what do I, I've got some doubts. I've got some concerns. I'm worried. And it's just, you just feel like you're not only emotionally, you just feel like spiritually as well, you take a dive. Yesterday afternoon at 2 o'clock, I did a funeral. Now, that's not unique. I've done scores and scores and scores of funerals as a pastor. What was a little bit uh, extraordinary about this particular one is that in this family, in the last seven years, uh, this family that I know, this couple that I know, I, I would say, and, and I don't think she's here, and I, I never like to guess, uh, ladies' age, all right? So, and here's a clue, guy. guys. If you ever have to guess a lady's age, take what you think it is, subtract 12, and then mention it, all right? So I don't, I'm going to say, I'm going to say she's much younger than me, all right? That's what I'm going to say. But what is unique in about the last six or seven years, I have now done her sister's funeral, her dad's funeral, her grandma's funeral just a few months ago, and then yesterday her mom's funeral, just in the last few years. And when you're going through a challenge, I mean, you know, sometimes you just have to reach deep down and you just have to say, and this is really, I think, what, what John is, is struggling with. He's now in prison Again, he's committed no crime, and there's just times in our life when we have a painful experience or we go through a trying stretch of life and doubts begin to creep into our mind. I mentioned in that funeral service yesterday what you've heard me mention here before, that not everything in life is is perfect. In fact, it is not perfect at all. Nothing in life is perfect. You've heard me, and I mentioned in that service, nothing is perfect. You've heard me say these things. The weather's not perfect. Uh, there's not a single perfect relationship that we have. Our bodies are not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, nothing in this world is perfect. It's not going to be perfect. And as I communicated yesterday, you know, the only place that is perfect is heaven. And if everything on earth was perfect, why in the world would we ever want to go to heaven? And there's just challenge after challenge after challenge at times. And a lot of times, in fact, this is not what I intended to, to mention, but there's a verse, the Apostle Peter uh, gives this verse to us, and he says, don't think it's some strange things, you know, when some challenge is going on in your life. Don't think that this is some strange thing that is happening to you. Don't think that, man, you know, I'm walking through this challenge. I've, I've had a, maybe even a series of some challenges, and wow, you know, where's God? What's wrong with me? What's wrong? You know, Paul uh, or Peter said, don't think it to be some strange thing. I, I, I love this story. I brought it along with me uh, this morning. It's a story it's told about a man who could not give a convincing explanation about why his arm was broken. So here's a guy that he had a bad day, and you're going to see what I'm talking about. This guy kept muttering some story about accidentally sticking his arm through his car window that he thought was down, and that's how he broke his arm. Now, that was, according to the story, the public version. In private, though, he confesses that it happened um, when his wife brought in some potted plants inside that had been out on the patio all day. 
He says, this is how it happened. A snake had hidden in one of the pots and later, after she had brought it in, slithered out across the floor where my wife had spotted it. He said, I was in the shower when I heard her scream, he, he says. I thought my wife was being murdered, so I jumped out to go help her. I was in such a hurry, I failed to even grab a towel. When I ran into the living room, she yelled that the snake had gone under the couch. I got out on my hands and knees to look for the snake. My dog came up and touched me, uh, touched me from behind. I thought it was a snake, and I fainted. <laughs> my wife thought I had a heart attack when I fainted. And so she called for an ambulance. I was still groggy when the ambulance arrived, so the medics lifted me onto a stretcher. When they were carrying me out, the snake came out from under the couch, frightened one of the medics. He dropped his into the stretcher, and that's how I really broke my arm. Now, how many of you know that's a, that's, that's a bad day? A lot of stuff is going wrong. A lot of things are going wrong. Now, it was obvious that John the Baptist was no spiritual lightweight, yet during a season of adversity, even he had to deal with doubt while John was in prison. Even John, I mean, you think about it, and, and I, I pray, you know, and this is what I've been praying. I, this is prayer I pray all the time for those who are part of our church family that are not a Christian yet, that they will become a Christian, a follower, a legitimate, bona fide follower of Jesus. Then I pray for those of you that are already Christians, that you're going to grow, that, that you're going to mature in your walk in your relationship with God. And I, I think for most of you, you'll find some consolation because you're like, you've had times in your life and you're like, you know, you walk through a challenge and then you're a little bit like John and then you feel guilty because you're having some of the same, same thoughts that John is. And I'm just saying to you that uh, John the Baptist, the forerunner, one person, out of all humanity, chosen to be the forerunner of Jesus. And if John the Baptist, the greatest of all prophets, is struggling a little bit here, wouldn't it be foolish to think that you and I would never struggle? So uh, you just need to push that out of your mind and say, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm walking through a challenge and I've got some questions going on. And it really leads me to the second thing out of this passage I want to mention to you. Let me give you the second thought here. Be sure you get it. God is not offended by our questions. He is not. God is not offended by our questions. Remember what John asked, the B part of the verse I just read to you, verse 2? Listen carefully to it again. He says to Jesus, again, he sends this messenger, and he's like, here I am. You know, I haven't done anything. All I did was the right things, and by doing the right things, it's landed me in a lot of trouble. And so just go and ask Jesus. Ask him when you go to him. And he's not mad. He's not angry. He's not blaming Jesus. But he just has a simple question. Are you the one who wants to come? Or should we expect somebody else? In other words, are you really Messiah? Are you really the Christ? Are you really the anointed one? John's question is in remarkable contrast to his earlier declaration that Jesus was everything that he had proclaimed him to be, Messiah, Redeemer, Son of God. Now, what is unique, and I love this, and I pray that this will be encouraging to you as well. I love the way that Jesus responds. Jesus does not blast him. Jesus does not send him a fiery message back. Jesus is not angry. Jesus is not going to belittle him. Jesus is not going to criticize him. Jesus is not going to intimidate him. Jesus is not going to insult him. Jesus is not going to do any of those things. Why? Because Jesus is never threatened with heartfelt questions. In fact, Jesus welcomes them. And maybe you've got some questions. 
Now, I've got to tell you, there are some questions you're going to get on earth, but how many of you know there are some questions that you and I have, how many of you know this, that we're never going to have answered until we get to heaven? It's just going to, you're just going to have to just trust and have faith and, and believe. That doesn't mean you discount. That doesn't mean you have like this blind faith. It just means there are some questions. And if you think, I have got to have all my questions answered here on earth, then you're going to be sorely disappointed because you are not going to have all your questions answered. You'll have a lot of them, but there's going to be questions you are going to have to hold on to until you get into eternity, and then you ask God. Well, well, I was just wondering, and I've been wondering all this time, and Jesus is not offended by our questions. Have you asked them? Have you asked questions? God, why is she sick? God, why did he walk out on us? God, why do I have all this financial pressure? God, why am I going through this challenge in my health? Family yesterday, she didn't say it, but she probably has in her mind. Uh, God, why in the last six to seven years have I lost my sister, my dad, my grandmother, now my mom? God, are you real? God, do you care? God, what do I do with my life now? What do I do? And again, you've just got to remember that sometimes our doubts, life or John, are forged in the most challenging seasons of our life. And then we ask questions. And Jesus says, I'm okay with your questions. You just ask. Some of the answers he gives us here and now. Some of the answers we just have to trust him and hold on to till we can ask him face to face. Now, one last thing. One more thing that I want you to notice from this Matthew 11 passage, and that is God will speak to us if we'll simply listen. See, the problem is we don't slow down. We're just way too busy. We've got way too much going on. Even while, and I was doing a little bit of battle this morning, you know, worked on the message, and then as I do every Sunday morning, take it, just sort of pound it into my head a little bit and just do that and read through it and think about it, pray through it. And so I was just battling. I'd read through it two or three times by then, and I'd just start thinking about, all right, you got to be sure that this is accomplished this week. you got to get this done. you got to get that. You, and we're all busy. And that's problematic for us because we don't, none of us probably slow down enough to just really listen and hear what God wants to say to us. Have you ever wondered about this? Has God already sent the answer, but you're too busy to hear what his answer is? And God's trying to nudge you, and how many of you know that God's probably not going to send you an email, not going to send you a note, not going to call you on your cell phone? He's not going to have a pilot sky write the answer for you against the backdrop of a blue sky. But he will give nudges and impressions and promptings. But a lot of times, I think, you and I are so busy and so distracted and so uh, preoccupied and so mentally exhausted that we never hear the answer that he wants to provide. Back to Matthew 11, listen to verse 4. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. Tell him the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. And when John receives back that message, he's like, that's all I needed to hear. I get it. I'm okay now. And again, he's under a lot of pressure. Now, he doesn't know it at the time. He may suspect it, but he's actually going to lose his life. He's going to be beheaded. Can you think of a more atrocious way to die? 
But in the moment of great challenge, Jesus sends him an answer, and John listens. Jesus wanted John to know that the very words and miracles that he was doing was validating the activity of what the Christ, the anointed one, would do. And again, when John hears it, he's like reassured, and he's like, I knew it. I just needed to hear it. I was just going through a tough time. I was just going through a battle. I had to ask, and now I believe. When I was studying this passage, there's a, there's a New Testament scholar. His name is R.V.G. Tasker. And I want you to look at the statement that he makes on the screen, and then I'm going to wrap up. This is what he writes. He says, Jesus at once perceives that the cause of John's distress is lack of reliable evidence. So what does Jesus do? He supplies him with the information that he needs. And can I just tell every one of you as we get ready to wrap up this message that Jesus has everything that you need. In fact, he is the embodiment himself of everything that you need. As a savior, as a forgiver of sin, as a friend, he's all that we need. Now, in reality, and I want to just speak for just a moment to my non-Christian friends, and you're as welcomed here as any mature follower of Jesus, but I, I want to speak to you, and I want to speak to you very directly, compassionately, but directly. You can just keep delaying, keep delaying, keep putting it off, keep putting it off, just saying, you know, not yet, later. I'm not just going to commit myself to follow Jesus right now because I don't have all the answers to all of my questions. And you can do that. I think it's a mistake, but you can do it. Or there may be some of you who says, well, you know what? I think I'm just going to stand on the sideline and wait until I have more evidence. You know, the evidence that I have, I believe, I'm just, you know, sort of shifting to neutron. I'm just going to wait, wait, wait. But I want you to please hear me when I say this. One day, you and me, we're going to stand accountable before God for the evidence that we already have right now. You don't have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. And if you wait, and I'm not trying to discount anything. I'm not trying to hide behind this statement. This is not a crutch. I'm just saying to you as truthfully as I know how, if you wait until you have all of your answers before you truly believe, you will never truly believe. Becoming a follower of Jesus is a faith step. You take the evidence that you already have. Evidence, for example, like who created? I mean, are we really foolish enough to believe that everything in the world just happened? Just, I mean, just, there was, I mean, that there was just this sudden explosion and then all of these things came into being in the, in the way that they did with the intricate detail and it, and it just happened. It was coincidental. I heard somebody explaining that one time and, and they said, and I'm not quoting verbatim, but you'll capture the essence of it. That's like a factory exploding and all of a sudden without anything being done, producing hundreds and hundreds of designer jeans. It just, there was an explosion in the factory and it just happened. It just happened. Don't know how. Well, you know better than that. There is a God behind everything that exists. How could everything come from nothing? A divine creator was behind it all. And then you've got to ask the question, which is fact. And this is not just true by Christians historians. Non-Christians historians tell us that Jesus died. He was nailed to a cross. And yet he rose again. Non-Christian historians say that there was this resurrection that was undeniable. And why did Jesus go to the cross? And why did he die there in our place for our sins? And why did he come back to life after three days and go back to heaven where he's currently seated right beside God the Father? And why does he love us the way that he does? 
in an extravagant way and desires to have a personal relationship with us. Think about it this way. You've got to put your hope somewhere. Why not put your hope in God? Why not put your hope in God? You know, every time I do a funeral service, as I did yesterday, it, it just slows me down. And I just, again, think about eternity. Because the reality is, no matter how long we live in this world, if we live to be 100, that is a microcosm of the extent of eternity. You got to believe in something. In fact, can I tell you this? And I wish I had more time. I'm out of time. But to not believe in God is to also make a decision. Well, I'm just not going to decide. I'm not going to believe in God. I'm not going to believe in Jesus. I'm not going to believe in the Bible, the authoritative nature of the Bible. I'm not going to believe in any. I'm not going to believe. I'm not going to choose to believe. Then, in fact, you have actually made a choice, and you've made a choice not to believe. And why would you ever do that when there's a God that's made it possible for you to know him? Would you stand with me for a closing prayer? So if you're a Christian today, would you be encouraged? If a guy like John the Baptist, the greatest of all prophets, would be like, what's up, Jesus? What's going on? Are you really? Why? Why? Why are you going? If that would occur in the life of John the Baptist, it simply might occur in your life. But don't beat yourself up. Why? Because Jesus is not beating you up. Ask your questions. Ask your questions. Jesus is not offended by them. And some of them, if you'll listen, he's going to answer now. Some of the questions, he'll just say, wait till you're with me. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And If you're just saying, you know, maybe you've been one of these I've been talking to today, especially, and you just say, you know what? I know it's time. I've got to cross the line of faith. I've got to give my life to Jesus. It's not maybe that there's not been sufficient evidence. It's just been that you haven't wanted to believe. Because to believe what you know is true would mean that there's some aspect of your life that would have to change. But anytime God changes your life, it's always going to be for the better and not for the worse. While nobody's looking around, if you'd say, you know, Jeff, I'm here today. And today I want to become a Christian. I believe that Jesus did create this world. I believe that Jesus did die on the cross for me. I believe that my sins can be forgiven. I believe that I can have an eternity in heaven with God. But I'm not a Christian yet, but today I want to become one. If that's you, would you just lift your hand real high? Just lift it up real high and keep it up for just a moment. And let me just pray with you right there where you're at. All right, you can put it down. And just right in your heart, just say, Jesus, I need you. I don't have all my questions answered yet, and perhaps I never will. But this I want to do. I believe in you. I believe in what you did for me. Just say that. I believe in you. I believe in what you did for me. And I want to become your follower today. Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Jesus, lead the way. Show me what you want me to do with my life. Jesus, give me the hope that when I die, that I'm in right relationship with you and that I'll go to heaven. Thank you, God, that you will help me now to live an abundant life. And then when I die, you will help me to live an eternal life. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Everybody said?
Amen. Have a great day, everybody. I love you. Look forward to seeing you right back here next Sunday.